and welcome to Mountain Talk on WMMT. I'm your host for the first half of our show today, Parker Hobson. Coming up later in the show, reporter Katie Myers will take us along for the route with a Whitesburg mail carrier some three months after the flood. But first, we start in a different part of Letcher County, in the town of Jenkins. Stay tuned. November is National Diabetes Month, one of those things meant every year to raise awareness of prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. But unfortunately, here in East Kentucky, too many of us are far too aware already. East Kentucky has higher rates of type 2 than the state and national averages, and many more in the area deal with prediabetes, which basically means you're on the road to type 2 unless you can make some changes. But even with prediabetes, it is still possible to prevent type 2. And health professionals say one of the biggest helps to doing that is eating as much fresh, healthy food as you can. But even before this summer, it was already hard for many in our region to get that fresh food, whether due to cost, transportation, or a lack of grocery options nearby. And that was before the flood made everything even harder. As part of our ongoing series, Prevent Diabetes EKY, we start our show today with Willa Johnson of Letcher County, who talks about what it's been like to manage prediabetes in the wake of the flood, especially in trying to eat healthy in a prolonged crisis, and all while raising a son as a single mom. We spoke with Willa in late August, a few weeks after the flood. At one point, my dad brought home dinners and I opened it up and in each meal kit was five little Debbie cakes. <laughs> and I was just like, under no circumstance do we need five little Debbie cakes with a lunch. And how many people are pre-diabetic that are now eating five little Debbie cakes a day? This might be the thing that pushes them to be diabetic, honestly. My name is Willa Johnson, I'm originally from McRoberts, Kentucky, recently moved to Jenkins, Kentucky, and I'm the director of films at Shaw. So when the flood was hitting, like, my mom called and told me to wake up. It was like 2.30. I had just fallen asleep at 2. And I had an air conditioner going upstairs, so I couldn't hear a whole lot other than the rain. And I looked outside, and I live on a main highway, and between me and the post office was like a river. And I was like, I can't believe this. Like, And then I went to the neighbor's side of the house and was like texting them and telling them to wake up. And they said, turn off your heat pump. It's up around your heat pump. And I just like, I have seen floods. I have never dreamed it would get that high. I just, And still even seeing it that high, I wasn't processing that it could be in my house. And so I went to the top of the steps to go turn off the heat pump. And when I did, a pair of my shoes went floating by in front of me. And just sheer panic. (laughs) Couldn't call 911. Couldn't call out. And then our cell phones went down on top of it. So it was just complete isolation after that. I was set to purchase my first home the next day. Had a U-Haul rented. Um, And my son we went to bed that night and I laid out a dress and a nice outfit for him because we were going to sign on my first home the next day and I was just so proud that I was able to do this for him and um, at 3 30 in the morning we were being evacuated out of the home by the sheriff 
And so we left in the middle of the night and walked to my parents' house who lived up the road on a hillside. And I put him back to bed and we watched the second flood hit. That was much worse and the home took about almost three feet of water the second time. They were supposed to give three more inches of rain the next night. And my parents' house was safe, but it's on a hillside, like not not flat on a hillside, like on a hillside. And there were uh, mudslides and landslides everywhere. And the main bridge to our town was gone, and there was a partial bridge that was left but was getting ready to be closed. And before they could shut it down, we left over that bridge, which was not smart, <laughs> not safe. But that was the only way out? Yeah, it was the only way out. But we knew this house that I had purchased, which I didn't get the clothes on, but had a key to, was up on a hill and dry and safe. And so we came here and slept on floors for a few nights. But we hadn't moved into this house yet. So there was no water. There was no food. You know, all the stores, a lot of the stores had gotten flooded. So you couldn't even go purchase anything. So... Having access to places that have been providing meals has been crucial. But it's also been a little bit of a uh, an experience on what you get offered. Um, the first few days, it was hot dogs. Lots and lots and lots of hot dogs. Um, people would drive by in trucks and like hand them out to you while you were cleaning up the house and at one point, we ended up with, like, extra bags of hot dogs. And so, I like, as I was leaving, I saw a neighbor outside and slowed down. I was like, do y'all need hot dogs? And she's like, we were about to ask you the same thing. And um, so everybody got really over hot dogs really quickly. But um, at one point, my dad brought home dinners. And I can't remember what group made it. And I opened it up, and in each meal kit was five little Debbie cakes. <laughs> and I was just like... Under no circumstance do we need five little Debbie cakes with a lunch. Um, and for me, like, I'm pre-diabetic, but I also know I'm pre-diabetic and I'm a little bit more careful. My dad is very much diabetic and is 75 and is not as careful as he should be. And so every time he gets one of these meal kits, I'm just like, <sighs> one day I finally was just like, everyone stop what you're doing. I'm going to buy. And it was like, I went and bought a lot of canned vegetables, but I was like, I'm just making soup. <laughs> like, we're just going to eat a soup and make some sandwiches with it. And so even that felt like such a decadent meal because it was hot, because it was home cooked, <laughs> because it had vegetables in it. A lot of people lost their first floors. And so that's where your kitchen is, or they lost, like my parents didn't lose anything in their house, but they lost electricity and water for a week. And so the things they had went bad and they lost all of that. And then when you do get water, the water is on the water advisory. And so it's just, it's, it's incredibly layered in like, it's not that people aren't wanting to eat vegetables. It, everyone is so, I mean, they're working 13, 14 hour days. Everyone is so tired. If you're not working on your own property, you're helping your neighbor. If you're not helping your neighbor, you're probably out delivering the meals that are being made at one of these centers. 
And I would say, like, I've also seen a lot of local places step up when they saw that people were really getting burnt out on hot dogs and hamburgers because that's the easiest thing to do is set up a grill. And that's what we keep saying. Like, we appreciate it. (laughs) We'll eat it if we're really busy and we need something to eat. But we're really tired of them, too. (laughs) Um, And so some places like the Jenkins American Legion are, like, cooking home-cooked more rounded meals to deliver out. And those have been really, really healing in a way to just slow down and one, taste the food you're eating. Because for days, I feel like I didn't taste anything. You were just eating in such a hurry or your phone was going nonstop or you had somewhere to go, so you were eating on the run. And then we found the American Legion, which I will say has been my bright shining spot in all of this is that a couple days a week we go into a smoky bar (laughs) with women who call you sis or baby and they go out back and like grab meatloaf and peas and carrots and bring it out to you or um, I just keep laughing I'm like I found honky tonk angels in the middle of all of this. For me personally, I'm, I'm pre-diabetic and was working really hard to get under control. Then the pandemic hit and I was very, very worried about it because I was pre-diabetic, I had PCOS, I have a history of pneumonia, I get pneumonia very easy, and I'm a single mom. So, And I have parents who are elderly who I help take care of and they were very high risk. And so... I just put my life on hold for a year and a half, just completely isolated. And so it was really hard emotionally to go through. So that really impacted my eating a little bit there, just because it was like emotional isolation, boredom, not going in grocery stores as much to pick out the stuff. And then we actually got COVID and had to have the IV infusion and was pretty sick, but then faced long COVID symptoms for like eight months. It was just extreme fatigue. And so that really impacted, like I just didn't want to cook. I didn't have the energy to cook. And so I was just really starting to feel some normalcy when all of this hit. Could you talk a little sort of about that? Because I know you in the past have done some meal planning and like... Mm -hmm. I had really gotten lax on the meal planning but a couple things we were doing was hello fresh meal kits that way i was like making sure we had some vegetables every week and we kept a lot of fruit at the house and ate a lot of fruit and stuff that doesn't happen at all now like i keep buying fruit but we're just on the run all the time that i don't slow down enough to wash it and store it and make sure it's safe to eat and so we just keep grabbing snacks on the go But I think for the most part, I still have enough presence of mind to sort of limit the intake of what I'm having that would raise my blood sugar. But I definitely, soda has been the hard part for me. That has always been the hardest thing for me. It's very much a comfort. You know, in college when I had like very little money, I would prioritize buying a case of Coke over food. I won't buy it to have at the house right now. I'm only drinking the water that's been donated to us. 
But as soon as I go down the road, <laughs> if I go anywhere and they're like, you want a Pepsi or a Coke? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want that. Because it, it really does do this weird thing where I'm like, I imagine it's like smoking a cigarette. Where like as soon as you take a drink, you're like, okay, I feel a little bit better now. And so that's probably been the hardest thing for me to like try to make sure I limit. thing we don't want to talk about is the really poor live off the beaten path like there were people who didn't have a lot of food access before the flood and now they're really out of the way to get to the gardens are ruined and then their vehicles are ruined they're homeless if they're not homeless they're in unsafe conditions or they don't have the roads they need to get where they need to get and then add on top of that inflation and they were already facing issues with being able to afford the groceries. It's just, it is the perfect storm for a really big disaster facing this region. And the rate of diabetics in this region is extremely high. And like, these people are on their feet day after day, hour after hour. And it's it's just not healthy for them right now. So, and how many people are pre-diabetic that are now eating five little Debbie cakes a day? This might be the thing that pushes them to be diabetic, honestly. Like, there are a lot of people who whose bodies were giving warning signs before. The inability to listen to your body right now is going to have repercussions. And I just keep thinking, like, I went through a flood that I had to evacuate when I was in the sixth grade from a silt pond that broke in the holler I lived in. And I'm like, wow, you know, no one told us about mold then. And we moved back into the double wide that got flooded underneath it. And like, is that why I get pneumonia every single winter? Like, what are we going to learn from this go round? And like, how many years does this take off? And it's just like a very uh, surreal realization to realize how much uh, these will impact us for years to come. walking up the road in the middle of the night carrying him like I remember shaking and just I mean I was just walking by tree limbs and debris and water and he was in his t-shirt and underwear clinging on to me and I just I think for me I block it out as like it was my trauma like I can block it out but when he remembers it when he talks about it that's really hard and like his trucks got pushed together the other day and I said oh did your trucks wreck and he said no, the flood did that. He just brings it up in really small ways, but the hardest part is when it rains, when it storms, which <laughs> keeps doing. I feel really nervous when that happens. He falls apart. And so I've been trying to think of ways he can help and be supportive. And so one of the things I'm hoping to do is be able to cook and deliver meals. I won't be able to do it on a large scale, but to deliver meals to people I know once these daily meal stops uh, slow down because I just feel so incredibly lucky that I, <laughs> I had an aunt and two cousins whose homes were all three picked up and smashed into each other. Yes, I lost things. Yes, it hurts, but I'm somewhere new and safe and dry and I just feel like I need to use this moment to give back as much as I can. So my hope is <laughs> to do it through meals if I can. 
It's like, hope they like vegetables. They might be getting a vegetarian lasagna. <laughs> Again, that was Willa Johnson of Letcher County, and that interview was recorded in late August. Up next, and also in honor of National Diabetes Month, we have another local story of trying to prevent type 2. For Carol Sturgill of Floyd County, she says she'd been dissatisfied with her health for a while. She'd tried different diets and programs over the years, but nothing ever really stuck. But then her friend and family member, Diana Ross, told her about this small group program called the Diabetes Prevention Program at the Floyd County Health Department. Carol says she didn't feel like she was at huge risk for diabetes, but after an especially tough year, she was ready to try something new, so she signed up. And also as part of our series, Prevent Diabetes EKY, Here's Carol's story, which we first aired last year. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't comfortable with my weight. I'm sleeping better. And you just feel better. And you can actually go in a store and buy something that fits. <laughs> well, I go by my middle name, uh, Carol Sturgill. I live at Harold, Kentucky. I'm a retired state employee. My husband was a severe diabetic, and I was used to, you know, preparing meals for him and being aware of what he ate. I even had to give him his insulin shots and measure that out, and then he became bed-faced, you know, and lost him in April of 19, so. But my weight gain, I think it was just taking care of him eating junk food, no activity. I had walked before, but then when he got sick, I stopped. And where I was a caretaker, you just grab food here and there, and that's what got the weight on me. Diabetes, even though my grandfather had it, he had it when he was elderly, and nobody else in my family's ever had it. And my doctor even told me, he said, you're not in danger for it. But I knew the importance of it because of my husband being a diabetic. I've seen it. I've been around it a lot. Diana, of course, is a family member, my husband's first cousin, and she mentioned the program. And I'm like, I've been on these crazy diets on and off, and I'd got to where I just wasn't comfortable with my weight and the way I was feeling and I wasn't sleeping good. And I'm like, here I'm living by myself. Now I can buy groceries that I need to. I don't have to have this stuff in the house and right now's the time to get healthy. So June the 8th of last year is when I started the program. They send you lesson packets and starting out they'd call you every week and take your weight down and they'd go over the packet with you and what helped you and and discuss any problem areas 
and then it goes down after a while it goes down to every two weeks and then once a month but you've still got that support staff there if you need them and the thing that worked for me they sent you a food log and everything that you put in your mouth goes on that log and you count the fat calories the number of calories you're getting and what time you're eating and when you're having to put that on that old sheet of paper you become more aware of it and you're looking at it like man I've got too much fat today this says I should only have this many milligrams and I've had this and I'm not even halfway through the day so you read your packet how what can I eat how can I make a healthier choice and that helped me more than anything when you start this you're going to have a oh moment oh I wouldn't I didn't realize what I was putting into my body why that I was gaining weight or why I wasn't losing then where I was stuck in the house with my husband, I didn't get any activity. It's just, you know, as a caretaker, you, you can't. And I started walking every day. So that combined with being aware of what I ate and making healthier food choices. Get rid of the, what I call junk food, like breads. I cut out white bread, just eat wheat bread, you know, whole wheat, and not that much of it. A lot of vegetables is what I focused on. And the way you prepare it, don't fry, don't add a lot of fats to it. And I got used to bake, broil, or boil, and it wasn't that hard. And you can still have the sweets every now and then if you bake a cake, you, can, you don't have to cut it out for a lifetime. You just have to be sensible about it. Because you can't just cut out everything and starve yourself. Because that's what makes you this yo-yo thing and you end up going back off the diet. And that's where I was making the mistake myself. But the information the health department provided me with got me through that and showed me how to make the healthier choices. And when I make a cake now, I'll keep about maybe a third of it and give the rest to my neighbors. <laughs> I don't keep it around. I went from 185 to 150. From June the 8th to January the 8th, about six, seven months and I'm still 35 pounds down. It was a lot easier for me than I expected. Because like I said, I've been yo-yo dieting, gradually put weight on through the years, and I'd start something and then I would stop. But this really being accountable and knowing that she was gonna call me how much have you lost or gained, and I'm okay. If I'm going to report this every week, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it right. So, yeah, it really inspired me. And it did help me because I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't comfortable with my weight. I'm sleeping better. And you just feel better. And you can actually go in a store and buy something that fits. 
I'm being honest. You can even go like you go to the clearance racks. All the the bigger sizes are picked over, and there's just the littler sizes. And now I'm actually, I went to a clearance rack the other day, and I'm like, well, I can actually do this now. So it's changed a lot for me. started it in June of 2020, right in, right after really the COVID was in full swing. And I knew I would always take it, the vaccine. You got to weigh the risk and benefits. And to me, the benefits far outweigh the risks of it. I'm basically healthy. But you've got people in the community that's not as lucky as I am that has these underlying conditions. And if they get it, it's going to be a lot worse on them. Like my uncle got it. He was 86 and he died. So you got to be aware of people like that. You know, how would you feel if you knew you give that to somebody and they didn't make it? It would devastate me. I know one year the flu vaccines was limited. And uh, my doctor told me, he said, now, you know you have to be on the priority list. I'm like, why do I have to be priority? Then I don't have any bad conditions. He says, but your husband does. And if you carry the flu in on him, you're going to kill him. And I thought of that with the COVID. For me, it was a non-issue. I knew I would do it. And I had zero side effects. It's a diabetes program, which helps get your A1C down by making you aware of what you're eating and your activity level. But at the same time you're doing that, it's affecting other areas. Like for one thing, my dad had kidney disease and my kidney functions were out of whack. I went on this program all my labs and my kidney functions are now normal level. I walk outside. I had osteopenia. I build up my bone mass. I no longer have osteopenia. So diabetes affects all these other areas. And by controlling that, you're getting healthy all the way around. And I've got diabetics and friends that I'm trying to convince to take this next program. A couple I think I've talked into it. But they looked at me in church and said, what are you doing? And I told them what I was doing and I can't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. It's not hard. It's one of the easiest programs I've ever been in that works better than anything I've done. And to me, it's not really a diet. It's a lifestyle change. It's making healthier choices, becoming aware. Again, you've been hearing from Carol Sturgill of Floyd County. Carol took part in the Diabetes Prevention Program, or DPP, at the Floyd County Health Department. The DPP is also offered at clinics and health departments all across the region. To find a group near you, and for more stories like you've heard today of dealing with blood sugar and trying to prevent type 2 in East Kentucky, check out our project website, 
preventdiabeteseky.org. And that's it for the first half of our show. Music in this half hour was by James Blackshaw and Don Bykoff from the Free Music Archive. And by Rich Kirby and Michael Klein from the album They Can't Put It Back from Apple Shop's very own June Apple Records. Stay tuned after the break for more Mountain Talk. For WMMT, I'm Parker Hobson.